0: You know, whatever somebody needs to do to deal with the shame that's in them. And if you don't experience that you have any shame in you, then you've got more than most. The degree to which you're unconscious of the shame in you is the degree to which it's probably running your life. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clear What's the most upstream root of all forms of incompetence? If you're into excellence, and especially if you manage people, this may be the most important question of your life. The answer is what silently and secretly runs most people's lives until they realize it. And it's probably running your life too, to some degree, cutting you off at the knees whenever you get too close to deep fulfillment. What on earth am I talking about? Keep listening to find out more. This episode is the first of four parts from a recent weekly member webcast. And I'm also very excited to announce the release of my ebook, Cut the Bullshit, Solve Your Problems by Getting Real. It's full of direct, practical advice related to getting employees engaged, hiring right the first time, how to create a culture of radical responsibility, and a lot more. For a limited time, I'm giving this ebook away for nothing. So if you have some spare nothing lying around, please go to clearandopen.com CTB to download it. That's CTB standing for Cut the Bullshit, a free ebook to reward and support my loyal listeners. Thanks so much for being one. And let's dive now into today's podcast. What is the single most significant cause of all incompetence in the world? Not a rhetorical question. Or as I one facilitator I sat in front of once said, and I'm asking you, not the person next to you. I love that one. And that would work for all the time. What is the most significant contributor to incompetence in our world? The most upstream factor you can think of. Certainly there are many, but what's the most upstream you could comprehend? Lack of curiosity? Not bad. That's pretty far up the tree. But what causes lack of curiosity? If we assert, very good, Gabe. If we assert that curiosity is the natural state of a human being, which I would. Assuming you know the answer. Say again? Assuming you know the answer. Assuming you're always right. Ah, very good, Victor. And what would compel someone to assume that they're always right? Both, Both of those things come from the same place is what I'm suggesting. What's upstream of those things even?
1: Lack of self-confidence.
0: For getting warmer, I'd say that's a little bit more upstream, very good, teen. But what causes that lack of self-confidence?
1: Needing external validation.
0: Mm, and what would cause the need for external validation?
1: I should know this one. <laughs>
0: Well, when you hear it or come up with it, you guys are all going to go, oh, of course, because this isn't new. I'm just sort of coming in at a uh, slightly different door. A willingness to let it persist. Interesting, Jamie. A fear of not knowing or being wrong. Yes, and what Jamie said and that both come from. Lack of self-awareness. And the lack of self-awareness. This Self-awareness is screened out because. And sidebar, just I want you guys to notice how engaged you are right now. I'm asking you a question again and again and again that you don't know. You learn way better this way like in general, study after study after study shows this, despite the fact that all of our education is talking at and giving information, just so you know, because you can do this with other people. All you got to do is ask a question annoyingly again and again and again. It both frustrates and engages people. And we live in a world where people are always like, but I don't know, but I don't know, but I don't know. Yeah, that's good. Wrestle with it. That's how you learn something. And sidebar. So what's upstream of all this? One word.
1: Fear. Avoidance.
0: Fear? Fear of what? We're in an emotional domain now. That's one. Because it
1: could be fear of how we're perceived by others.
0: Which we would be worried about only if we had deep wells of shame. Shame. Team for the win.
1: I identify with this topic. <laughs>
0: This is basically all Brene Brown, one of my heroes, talks about. It is the root of all incompetence, I assert. So I want to talk about shame a little bit today, in the, the professional context, because on on one level, shame is difficult and painful and you know uh, heart wrenching and. You know, whatever somebody needs to do to deal with the shame that's in them, which I assert is in everyone. And if you don't experience that you have any shame in you, then you've got more than most. The degree to which you're unconscious of the shame in you is the degree to which it's probably running your life. It's there all the time. It's like a radio station. All you got to do is tune in or turn up the volume. It's there. The causes of it and why it's there is a whole other topic not really relevant for what I want to talk about today. It's there. There's so much research done on it. It's not really a question. Can you define shame? Ooh, I really ought to. Shame. An energetic and an emotional contraction based in the distorted belief and conclusion that one is not good enough for whatever is in front of you something like that the contraction piece is really important it's a it's a pull back as all wounds are it's a it's a pull away from it disengages you i'm not good enough it's you know it, you could draw a circle around all the stories i'm not good enough i'm not i'm not whatever enough and the 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 place from which all of those come is shame important to identify it as even though shame we would say is I guess it's a noun shame yeah we we tend to nounify things it's not really a noun most most things are not it's a dynamic it, that's why the contraction thing is is such a nice way of defining it because it's a pulling away from it's a dynamic it, it moves something arises in your life ah I can't I can't do that I'm not good enough for that that that's a movement away from and when it's a movement away from you can work with it. If you identify it as a thing, like a noun, now you're going to like try to get rid of it. Same thing with ego. Um, when, in Buddhistic traditions and, and related paradigms, people will, I mean, the word ego is a noun, unfortunately. It really shouldn't be. It should be egoing. Many spiritual teachers will talk like this. Uh, egoing, it's a dynamic. If it's a dynamic, you can change it. If it's a noun, you'll try to get rid of it. Well, where is your ego? Where where are you going to go find it and get rid of it? I want to get rid of my index finger. There it is. I can do that. Cut it off. I can do that. Ego is not like that. Shame is not like that. So if you orient toward it that way, well, you'll never succeed. Guess what? Your shadow's fine with that. That's part of the reason why we tend to identify things as nouns that are not nouns, because it it has all attempts at change, barking up the wrong tree. It's the same thing as like, uh, you know, every time there's a school shooting, the argument is about gun control. Like that has much to do with it. You know, it's a red herring. And for people who don't want change to happen, that's great, terrific. Y'all argue about the thing that it has nothing to do with. That way, nothing ever has to change. Really common defense. So, yeah, so shame fundamentally is a contraction. And if you just hold it as, okay, there's this contraction thing there, this contraction dynamic, it happens. That's not the problem. The problem is that you believe it and let it run your life in those moments. Just like, uh, same thing with fear the word Luann brought up. There's no problem with fear. There's only a problem when there's an absence of courage. Courage, I like to define as doing the thing you're afraid of. Being afraid and acting anyway. But we have this idea, you ask a thousand people what courage is and they'll, most of them will say being fearless. A word I don't like. Even though there's a way to use fearless that is accurate, but I think it's misleading.
1: This kind of reminds me of a conversation I've had with my kids multiple times. They're very black and white creatures at the ages they Your are. Your kids? <laughs> well, becoming less so. But <laughs> a few years ago, there was this constant question, is that a good person or a bad person? <laughs> nice.
0: What and age was that? Said, what, what age people, I was asking that?
1: Like six-year-olds kind of in that. They, they wanted to know, like, how do I define this person? Is this person good or bad? And I would say to them that no person is good or bad, but their choices can be deemed good or bad according to them or society. Or It was a really difficult concept, but I it brought it right to my face when they asked me who's good and who's bad. And I was like, I can't, you know, I'm not going to say that about a person, a human being. And so anyway, it brought up this big, sort of tackled some of this because six-year-old yeah really hard questions. Yeah. They're like mini Joseph Shapiro's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it's funny. It's really funny. You should say that because just a minute ago, I was thinking, these are the kinds of things that actually make me want to have kids or most of me doesn't want to, but then that's like, wow. You I'll know? send
1: mine to you for like a week and then-
0: <laughs> Camp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really wild, right? I mean, it's like, as if it's not already a difficult enough question, you've got to make it work for the brain of a six-year-old that like, doesn't get that if you pour a tall glass of water into a short fat glass that it's the same amount of water. Like, you've got to make that work for that person. And then, of course, like, all of our media completely supports that black and white kind of thinking. I, I so wish there were more movies, or just like one every once in a while, that like, really made it complicated um,
1: Some of the superhero ones do.
0: Yeah, yeah, they they do. Like uh, Deadpool is a good example. You're you're not really sure whether he's a good guy or not. Uh, and then there are figures in history like Napoleon. Uh, in in France, people don't know what to do with Napoleon, right? He he was a key player in the French Revolution, and then like ten or fifteen years, ten or fifteen years later, became an, uh, an emperor, a dictator. And uh, Game of Thrones, yes, on my list to to finally engage in. It. it does a good job with that. Okay. I'm glad to hear it cuz the the good and bad black and white kind of um thinking is is part of the problem because then when you have a bad feeling if that you know a feeling that if you acted on would be negative right then people go oh well that's a bad feeling and they don't even make that basic distinction one of the most important distinctions in the world because then the feeling comes up and says, well, that person just cut me off. I want to kill them. (gasps) Oh, no, that's a bad feeling. No, it would lead to a bad action, but I don't think you're going to do that. You may have had the urge to run them off the road, but you're a grown-up, and you can go, hmm, how would that play out? And then you go, no, I'm not going to do that. And then we negativize the feeling, and then there goes the curiosity. The word Gabe brought up. There's no there can be no curiosity because we feel like we're bad for having the feeling. I shouldn't even had that feeling. Why not? Well, it just shouldn't be there. Why not? Well, nobody else has feelings like that. Oh yeah? Yeah. They're not talking about them either. So that's that's the world we end up living with, where we spend so much energy hiding our weaknesses. Because we think they're not supposed to be there in the first place. Thus, incompetence. Because if when you put energy into hiding a weakness, what happens? It doesn't go away. If it did, we probably would have figured that out by now. And the world would be way more competent. But what happens is it tends to get worse. Even in the interviews where... The interviewer says, So tell me about your greatest weaknesses, which happens every day. That's considered like a really, you know, good interview question. And it is, but only if you don't accept bullshit as the answer. So when they say, Well, you know, honestly, this is difficult to admit, but sometimes I work too hard. (laughs) You've probably heard me say this before. When when I interview people, I start out by saying, Okay so I know in this interview you're you know you feel like you're supposed to look really good and I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to present the best version of yourself you can we're not going to do that today. I want to know the ugliest stuff you can share with me. So when I ask you what are your biggest weaknesses you're going to show me how well you know yourself and you're going to impress me by how well you know about your weaknesses and what you're doing with them not that you don't have any. Don't tell me you're perfectionistic or you unless you can make a case for how that really is a problem for you or you work too hard unless you want to talk about how you're such a workaholic that, you know, your wife just left you 3 weeks ago because of it or something like where it's actually a difficult thing. And that sh- that shifts the tone for not only the whole interview but the whole work relationship. Because then the entire course of the person's job is about using the job to develop their weaknesses. If you don't intentionally do that, the cultural conditioning operates instead. And then the whole job becomes about working with someone's strengths and kind of keeping the weaknesses as much out of the picture as possible. And the funny thing about that strategy is it's coming from a good, intent, a well-intended place. Like, well, I want to operate with my strengths, right? I want to bring my strengths. I want to do a good job. But the counterintuitive wisdom is that if you don't, if you're not immediate and transparent and attendant to your weaknesses, they drag you down. And why don't we want to, interface with our weaknesses like that all the time because it's uncomfortable. Why is it uncomfortable? Shame. Yes. And now we have a loop. You see, that's the loop. The cause and the effect are the same. I don't want to look at my, I don't want to, I have weaknesses. There's still weaknesses because I haven't really turned toward them all the way. I don't want to turn toward them all the way because it makes me feel shame, which is why they're there in the first place. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the Clear and Open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.